0: Welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Andrew Garfield, with my co-host, Ben <laughs> Bateman. Uh, and we are the Spider-Mans uh, of this universe. Uh, and we're having a good time. Welcome to, well, this is this is the second podcast of the new year. This is the first podcast we were recording in 2022. It's the future. It's great. Uh, I'm actually Alex Kessler. You should follow me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and any service you have at Kess Wiley. And Ben is at Media. And if you are here for the first time, hit that subscribe and like button. And in a second, we'll do a game of trivia that's just going to stump all of you. And then you're going to give us all the likes that uh, we appreciate. I don't think we deserve them, but we we it greatly helps this podcast succeed, uh, and we can't do it without any of your help. Uh, and today, just before we get into all of that, we are talking about Kamigawa block, Kamigawa, Kamigawa. Uh, Kami block, Gawa. the original one Kami Gawa. Uh, we're going back in time as as we're about to hit neon dynasty up and uh, see a whole new slew of a return to a set that was pretty stratifying in popularity like it wasn't the most popular set the first time we come but has gained popularity over time we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, we're going to visit the top 10 cards from this set we're going to talk some inter- uh, some some interesting mentions this is going to be specifically about that in the modern format but also just its cultural relevance to magic uh, so hi. hi, hi friends. Hi,
1: Ben. What's up? Um, yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. So um, I'm really happy to be back. It's my second episode back on the podcast. It took a couple months off. This is a show where, of course, we talk about the modern format in Magic the Gathering. If you guys don't know, we've been doing the show since 2014. It's our eighth year. It's crazy. Yeah. craziness yeah. <laughs> And we've been talking about this set for a very, very long time. Classically, the Kamigawa block. Not my favorite block. I was amongst the group of people that had their issues with it. Um, were you
0: Were you playing that? Mag- so I was not playing Magic when the set came out. And I, I can talk towards some of the like post-fact stuff. But were you even
1: playing Magic at the time? I was. Yeah. So I, I didn't play in standard. Like I wasn't like a consistent Magic player when this came out. But I, I think if I remember correctly, Mirrodin's 0-3. So I think it's 0-3. So I think this is like O four 4 is what I'm pretty sure. Because I think Ravnica's 0-5 maybe. It's, yeah, it's, it, if, it, I, I might it, be off by like a year. Sure. But I think it's right in there. So what I remember is in like 04 I wasn't playing as much. I got back in in Time Spiral. So I went to the Kamigawa the Champions of Kamigawa pre-release. Like that I definitely did. I remember um I remember like playing with Bushido and all that. and like but I didn't play a lot. So I was around during that time. I remember a lot of the cards. You know, I wasn't even It wasn't even that I had the biggest problem with the set at the time, because when a new magic set comes out and you're investing in the lore and all the mechanics and the way the whole thing works, it's really difficult to evaluate how you're going to feel about these cards down the line when you go back and you compare them to other things from the same time period. You usually just have to sort of accept like these people that make these cards are really smart. They know what they're doing. They've put a lot of time into this. So like I have to trust that this is probably, you know, better than my experience suggests my first time playing it. What always gets me about Kamigawa is when I go back to the block now, how many throwaway trash commons and uncommons there are that I just want nothing to do with. That's like the...
0: Well, yeah, so so this set is, is famous for a lot of things, right? One, one is it was the set just following Mirrodin block, which was uh, historically known as one of the most powerful eras and broken eras in magic design and magic standard history. It was the now, I think, the third lowest top three most bans in a single year happened during mirrored block and the, kamiga especially the later two sets uh came out in a point where there was time to basically ban cards right they are they, not ban cards but the lower the power level so it was like at the time famously underpowered kind of like the era right now like we talked in the last week's episode if people haven't watched it uh kind of went over the um the like last year in design and, and one comment we did have was kind of the power level of 2021 was pretty low compared to the last two years. And it's kind of a, sing, a similar situation where it was a a leftward swing from the power level of the previous year, which is now the number one most banned cards in a single year <laughs> beating Urza's Saga block. Um, But beyond that, it was also one of the most insularly designed. It, it leaned on basically like three specific things being arcane cards soul shift or like or or pretty specific tribal from soul shift with spirits uh uh ninjutsu with ninjas and bushido with samurai which is basically just rampage or like ch- like not the most exciting yeah, mechanic anyways and then the big one was legendary matters and at that point a legendary matters was pretty much exclusively a net negative like legendary cards their commander was not popular and but when we say not popular i mean like A few judges were playing it. Sheldon Mennery and friends were like slowly growing it. It was bigger than Highlander Roulette is now, but it definitely was not seeing play anywhere close to its popularity that we see it nowadays.
1: It started to get it started to get its first like boost as like a national consciousness. where like not a product release to support it, but like. It was a couple years after this that people started to play it a little bit more casually, like 05, 06. And I think there are some really funny things you can pay attention to when it comes to the design of this set, when you really want to point to the power level and where it was at. You know, like a great example is not only <laughs> so we got a, a rare 2-2-for-1 two, two white in Isimaru Hound of Han- Konda, But the funny thing about that is it was a legendary 2-2-for-1. Two, two they had to make it legendary to justify it being a 2-2-for-1. Two, two and the idea it that it was rare right or or that it was legendary was like a drawback so you couldn't play like a second one on turn 2.
0: Well that one, that one's a famous one too right that was the mark rosewater bet where someone was like you can't make a you can't make a rare vanilla creature. Someone was basically like mark rosewater a rare vanilla creature can't be made and he was like hold my i think he <laughs> doesn't eat bananas whatever mark rosewater drinks <laughs> i don't think he's a drinker but so he he really responded and was like uh no, you can. And that's what that's where it came from. It's like a legendary one, one vanilla tutu, two, two, one mana vanilla two two, and one of the most powerful cards for a long time from the set, right? Like that that card just seemed yeah. on the play and still sees some play modern as like uh whenever legendary creatures matter decks come up, right? Like well, because uh, mox
1: amber pushed, yeah, mox mox amber pushed us in the direction of needing to have decent things you could do on turn one that were legendary. And two yeah, power think- on turn one if it turns on a mox is pretty good. I think now it's fallen off, right? Because you have a
0: bevy of like, the especially in red, you have, you obviously yeah, have you, Raghavan, but then you also have um,
1: the red guy, the dash guy, the, the dash, guy. red, the
0: other dash, What red one drop. And you have um, you have Kithion, right? Like if you want a white one mana one. So like you have to you have to need 16 copies of one mana legendary creatures and like you might as well just play Thalia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <And> for sure. <laughs> That's like busted at the two drop slot. So like it, it definitely, I think, it's fallen by the wayside. But yeah, I mean, like legendary matters. It also was an like invented as fan. Uh, so for those who don't know, as fan is a term in magic design where it's how often your theme is showing up in a pack. Uh, so it's it's if you open up a pack of this set, Will you be able to grok or understand quickly what the theme of the set is? And when every creature is legendary at rare, every rare permanent was legendary in the set. But that's it. Like there was very, there were maybe a few uncommons and common ones. No common ones, a few uncommon ones. It really didn't show up very often. So people really didn't get a grasp on, oh, this is a Legendary Matters set. Now, there were a lot of cards that referenced it. But for Limited, you what most were going to get three of them because those are the three rares you open. That's only if you opened up permanents. So it ended up not being the most influential feature to gameplay um, for what was supposed to be like the first Legendaries Matter set. Now, since then, we've had a few sets that have done Legendary Matters. Specifically, recently was Dominaria was a big Legendary Matters and they used Historic to kind of get that across. And then most recently, Kaldheim, right? Those were both the last Legendary. And they've very obviously figured out how to do it right you put an uncommon legendary creatures in there you do you know cycles of both i think actually also the dungeons and Dragons set as of the forgotten realms had a sub theme of legendary but it wasn't as big as the other two so um legendary yeah.
1: matters is something that's pushed a lot more off than design now just only because we you know commander is such a popular product the more cool legendary creatures that we have uh you know there's an exciting place to use them and exciting different ways to kind of develop that so um a quick shout to everybody here we want to give a big thank you to the nobles of house modern everybody who supports our patreon that's patreon.com slash the mm it's the reason that we have a fancy editor that's able to put this episode together for us or that we're able to continue just doing the show so thank you guys so much for that and also the episode is brought to you by tcg player uh big thank you to you guys for doing that for us and uh, we have an affiliate link that if you guys can see is is listed below
0: there's a there's a link below if you click that Next time you want to buy cards from TCG player, it helps us out and we super appreciate it. All right. Yeah. And the last thing is I said that trivia question. I brought it up. There is, and I was wrong. Not every legend, not every permanent was legendary, but every, every creature was uh, legendary. That was at rare. Um, but there is a artifact that costs XX. Oh, in Legends of Kamigawa, in the block in Kamigawa. Block, OK, which set is it in and what its name is it?
1: Oh, this going to be a tough one. All right. I believe it is called Orochi Hatchery. Uh, it costs XX, you said it does cost XX. I think it's an artifact called Orochi Hatchery. It's, a, it's like that snake artifact.
0: Before we continue, uh, I guess I guess we kind of forgot to tell the rules of trivia. Hopefully people remember. If this is your first time here, you're that the subscribe button because you, you don't get the, the rules, so you're already going to have to do it. You have to comment below uh, with what you think the answer is as part of this trivia. And if you get it wrong, you have to hit a like and subscribe and share. But if you get it right, you don't have to do any of those things. You've dodged that bullet.
1: All right. The question is which set? Orochi Hatchery. I don't think it's Betrayer's. Or uh, what the what the hell does the question is what the hell does the champions logo look like? I'm mean, one of them is like a lantern. One of them is the ninja star. Um, so then what's the last one? I feel like it's a the lantern. God, which one is champions? Is the question? Ah, brutal, brutal. I think Orochi Hatchery is in the lantern one.
0: Which I just—is
1: it in Champions of Kamigawa? Uh,
0: that would be the Lantern one. Is Saviors of Kamigawa? Damn it! Uh, Orochi Hatchery is in Champions of Kamigawa, though.
1: <laughs> well, there you uh, go. Is, I, I see, still I lucked my the, way into it.
0: It's the Archway Gate is the uh is the set. Right, symbol. of
1: course, it's the archway. I knew that. I I'd had it in my mind, but well, I'm glad my instinct, my instinct, still got me the right answer. You know, you don't sign off. You want to dock me points. <laughs> I'm going to dock.
0: You're going to have to hit that like and subscribe button, Ben. And then everyone else, uh, if you got it right, we will like your comment and comment on how great you did uh, eventually. Uh, but thank you for everyone. And if you got it right and want to hit that like button, we appreciate that as well. All right. So these are the cards that did not make the list when it comes to the top 10 cards in Kamigawa history uh, in, in the set for modern tribe uh sakura tribe scout arayo Sortami ascendant kami of the crescent moon kataki's war wage kira great glass spinner maga the Trader of mortals ninja of the deep hours goto bandit warlord glimpse of nature sensei's divining top blazing Shoal, disrupting Shoal, nourishing Shoal, peer through depths time of need umazawa's jite footsteps of the gorio freed from the real ghostly prison threads of disloyalty Ayajonjo castle forbidden orchard Hall of the bandit lord mikakoro center of the sea Manamo, School of Water's Edge, Shinka, the Blood Soaked Keep, Shinzo, Death Storehouse, and U- Untadake, the Cloud Keeper. And the reason I wanted to read those off, now, some of those got kicked off because they were banned. <laughs> I got so
1: now, happy as you got towards the complicated land names. I think um, I did an okay job. Uh, you did a pretty me, good job, None yeah.
0: of the banned cards are on the list, right? There, surprisingly, a lot of cards from this set were banned. And we kind of talked about it, the power level was low from a design perspective, but over time, I think actually the power level has creeped up or been more appreciated. I think that well, there's part of four. That...
1: Yeah. I was going to say there's four cards on the list. You just described that are banned, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and a ton and, of the cards I named have seen a ton of modern play, you know, uh, uh, Sakura type scout has seen a ton of play. Kataki the war wage, Kira glass spinner, you know, all most of the lands to some extent have seen decent play
1: as well. Speaking of a land that you didn't name, that is not in our top 10, both who shelters all. That's another one that's really close that did not yeah. make our top 10. That's seen a lot of play. I mean, I think looking at this list of cards, you know, you have cards like Kataki War's Wage or Disrupting Shoal um, that have really been major players. The four banned cards, for anybody wondering, are right when the format became legal. They had already banned Glimpse of Nature, Umazawa's Jite, and Sensei's Divining Top. So those have all three been banned since the inception of Bonnet. It's been 10 years now since... Uh, Modern and and none of those have ever been legal, but they banned uh, Blazing Shoal in the first year because you could pitch a, you know, 10 mana cost big creature to infect somebody out on turn two. Um, And I think now, like, I don't think it would be backbreaking, but it would make Modern less fun that that was something available that you could do because it would just mean that you had to be prepared to not lose to that. So I think it would be kind of we've talked about this on episodes before. But those GTA, are GTA
0: is the like wild card. People come at me with like I'm banning that card. I'm like, no,
1: <laughs> so like good. it doesn't
0: do anything healthy for the format right now. An equipment deck is probably the best card in the format. Maybe if Stoneforge Mystic wasn't legal. And even then, I think Stoneforge Mystic being legal is way more interesting than gta
1: being available. People just don't remember because like I like. I will always say that I think GTA is like on the line because it's so expensive. I've tried to argue for unbanning it before, but what people don't remember about GTA is that at the end of the day, when somebody has an active Gta against you and you are a deck that suffers against it, it's the least fun experience in the world. There's nothing fun about that. It feels right. stupid. It feels like this stupid way, this workaround that they figured out where you're like, well, but it's like it's like a minus thing, so like indestructible doesn't matter and like protection doesn't matter and you just keep refilling and the counters stay on it even if i kill the creature it's on so like my one hope of like maybe like you know drawing some flying creature that can get around like yeah good luck your brazen borrower is going to be dead the second you cast it it's there's no chance you have no shot here um
0: yeah i i think it would be pretty oppressive in a way that already the format's having trouble with like that's the argument people make right is like it can't be that bad like it's not like there isn't such a bevy of good removal spells that like creatures playing x ones don't see a lot of play anyways and i think like like how much worse is gta than fury is like i guess the real question to ask and I do think the cost on Fury versus the difficulty in working around a GTA is really the issue for me. I mean, is Fury requires
1: like, you to play red cards, right? GTA doesn't. No, work and there's hard.
0: no, there's no good red cards in modern right now.
1: <laughs> well, and then I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's funny that I use the example of Brazen Barrack because, like, obviously the front half of Brazen Barrack can just bounce gt but like, still, the point still stands. But even like, you know, you think about all the cards. You think about like Dragon's Rage, Chandler, like. Cards where you're like, this channeler itself is going to maybe be able to draw me into an answer to not lose this game. Like, cast, it's dead. It's dead yeah, before think, you do anything.
0: To me, it's not even those, because, like, there's an argument that that's why to unban it, right? Like, being able to more handily have answers to Dragon Rage Channeler, Raghavan, and friends is, like, a good thing, right? I think, to me, the thing that is, it, like, really destroys... Like, Infect is never a good deck again, right? Like, and and you have decks like... Um, anyone playing either of the hierarchs, noble hierarch or ignoble hierarch, just like kind of take a bath. And GTA also is a really hard permanent to get rid of because it like fits right into Luris decks. I, it, it like, to me, it gives hammer decks even more versatility in the ability to sustain, remove creatures, as well as get in bigger threats in a way that I think is just very unhealthy for the format. You guys can hear us.
1: We have we, we have a whole conversation sometime in the last six months. We did a whole episode about cards that could come off the ban list. I think it was in the last six months. So we have a whole conversation about each of those cards. But those four that are on the list, none of those are in consideration. Um, there was a few on this list that got close. I think for me, the ones that really stand out on this list that really are like very, very strong. Uh, Disrupting Shoal has had a lot of play over Modern's history. It's never been dominant and there are better options now. But it saw a good amount of play. Nourishing Shoals, another one that was part that of one. a pretty big deck.
0: Like, like so the like, fact that the cards needed to make Nourishing Shoal work are now banned makes it not making the list, right? Simeon Spirit Guide needs to be legal to make Grishel brand decks work. But Nourishing Shoal saw yep. a ton of play in that deck specifically. And other cards from that have made the top 10. For um, sure, Igonjo
1: Castle is a card that has seen play in modern since the very beginning of the format. Yeah. It's, it's always it's always a solid card. I mean, it also it works well with with Raghavan. Like, it, to me the, it's just a good card.
0: To me, the two cards that I probably played the most on this list are um, Threads of Disloyalty, which I think is just like fallen out of favor as a sideboard card. But for like the first five years of modern was like a big deal uh, yep. as one of like better sideboard options. But then um, Ghostly Prison. And that's obvious, like in commander. I think if if this was a including commander or just like historic standard formats or whatever, I think Ghostly Prison would be maybe in the top five. Um yeah. then we some of these unbanned cards come off as well. Um because it's in modern, it's seen pretty limited play and 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 pretty um uh uh niche like enchantress decks, really, and prison decks, and even then hasn't seen a lot of play. Doesn't keep it doesn't make it on the list, but like I think I've cast Ghostly Prison more times than half the cards on on the top ten.
1: I mean, Ghostly Prison, yes, it's it's a a mainstay staple. I think the really interesting stuff about this this block, you know, and we're going to talk about some of this as well in the top ten. But like, you know, the cycle of rare lands, we named a lot of them, are are really interesting cycle. Specifically, the ones that come into play untapped, create a colored mana, and then have the ability to affect a legendary creature um they're very strong right like untapped lands an untapped land that produces colored mana that has a good ability is like there's very little downside to playing it other than getting like, blood mooned out or something but i mean all of them shizo shinka um obviously Igonjo castle they all kind of do something decent right whether it's giving it fear giving a creature first strike preventing two damage There's value to all of those. ideas,
0: Like lands with abilities, regardless, there has never been a cycle of lands with abilities that haven't seen some amount of modern play, right? Like from the ability lands from uh, Zendikar that enter the battlefield and do something from, uh, you know, Bajuku Bog being the one that's seen the most play there uh, to the, the rare ones where Valkyries play, to the tap lands from Innistrad block. Like anytime we put like, so like Besiju and Hall of the Bandit Lord, both of those have seen play in modern. It's not like those decks cards are not modern played cards. They're often more niche, but all the untapped ones, I mean, both of the blue untapped ones have seen play in Merfolk since day one as like choke or other anti-island
1: tech backup plans (laughs) Uh, just because they're a free roll.
0: It's free to play them.
1: Yeah, and I think um, it, it leads us nicely. We can we can go back to referencing some of these cards we mentioned here, but I think it leads us nicely into actually our number 10 on the list because you just mentioned it a second ago. We can start with that. And our number 10 is actually Oboro Palace of the Clouds. It is one of the two blue untapped legendary lands. Now, the reason this one makes our top 10 and none of the others do, there's a couple reasons. Number one, this card is an untapped blue source. It's a very interesting card because its ability is to tap one it's it's one colorless mana to return it to your hand but it taps itself to add one blue and it comes in untapped so it has this built-in function to avoid land destruction to get around things like uh to get around things like choke and also to trigger landfall like it's one of the only lands that exists where you can play it untapped get colored mana and also return it to your hand to keep replaying it if you want to um it doesn't it's not like the the bounce lands from uh the original Ravnica block where they come into play untapped unless you have something that you know like this is just an untapped blue source on turn one you can right. play this in a deck with serum visions on turn one as well as um you know so i think oboro is an interesting card it's one of the most well, expensive it, lands in modern yeah it's like 90 dollars, right yeah the yeah. foil is like almost 400 now, bucks
0: now i do think the biggest thing here is its ability i do think like The most important piece is its ability to just be in a Merfolk deck or in a mono blue deck and allow island based decks to be able to have some resistance to choke, right? Like that's that's the like first step is I can play these cards in this deck and I won't get blown out. The backup side though is uh, the there are other use cases, and that's I think where this card, especially between the two, and the reason I put this one above the other one, in the long run, has the potential to have, see play in other formats where you do want landfall triggers or you do want to play effects that like you want to have less lanes than your opponent. Like if they ever print land tax into uh modern, like this is a great card to like have with that card because you can return it to your hand to draw three. Um and one thing I do I, I do have a card. Like, do you think. So we're going to up, We're going back to Kamigawa. And that's like, I do want to talk towards that a little bit at the end. Do you think we're going to get, like, I think this is one of the more iconic things. Do you think we're going to get more untapped lands in, in this set?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think, I, I think we've said this for years, but like Magic's most successful and also Magic's most detrimental designs are always on the edge of pushing power. It's always a place where they're trying to, trying to find a clever way to make something exciting and powerful. And sometimes that goes too far. We've seen that plenty of times. But sometimes it works really well. And you'll see a card like, a great example of a card is like Boseju who shelters all. The downside of Boseju is pretty down. Like it's a, that's a pretty rough card to play. Now when it works, it's a great card, right? Boseju, for those who don't remember, is it's like a tapped land. That when it taps to add colorless mana, that colorless mana allows you to cast a spell. That spell can't be countered. It's got a really cool use case. It's one of the very, very loo- few lands. you
0: lose two life.
1: Yeah, it's like a very detrimental card, but it's a very unique card. So I think Bosiju is a great example of a card where, like, they could probably push a version of Bosiju that's a little more playable than this Bosiju, just slightly. Like, that's probably an exciting type of card for us to see, maybe an updated version. I could see them making some powerful untapped lands. But we just had a lot more untapped lands, though, since. I mean, when I brought up Oboro in the first place, your, your answer was like, there's just way more of them now. It's less of a special card than it used to be. And so I think the space they can play in with the untapped lands that produce colored mana... Similar to like we're getting more artifact lands now. We're getting like different versions of artifact lands now. They're more willing to do that than they used to be.
0: Absolutely. Um, all right. So the next card, uh, and this is a kind of another like like you know in the top ten like the not the deepest Cup. but the next one is is an arcane card of all things is through the breach, and that's five mana. You may put a creature from your hand onto the battlefield. This creature gains haste. Sacrifice that creature at the beginning of the next end step, and you can splice it to arcane for two red or red. Which for those who don't know because this mechanic is rarely relevant. <laughs> if you have an arcane card, you can spend and you cast an arcane card. If you have a splice to arcane card in your hand, you can spend two red red to cast it. Uh, but it stays in your hand. You basically copy this spell and attach it to the spell that you're playing. Now, I do think because we got a splice onto instance and sorceries card, like splice doesn't have to hit arcane spells. They could just hit anything. We got a splice to uh, instance and sorcery card in Modern Horizons 1. I think we're going to get splice back. I think that I think we're going to get splice back especially because Champions are Kamigawa Neon Dynasty like is doing the whole um futuristic, the cyberpunk aesthetic and like hackers are such a integral part to that experience and splicing is like I, I don't I can't think of a more
1: right 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 hackerish hackerish you know, like, like yeah. warding
0: and and feeling and it is a key part of the kamagawa block and it's something that they have recently figured out how to do you don't it's not parasitic it was bad the first time because it's really parasitic when you're doing splice onto arcane when it has to be weird arcane spells that you play with in this weird tribal way all of these cards end up being useless or you have to play with pretty me- mediocre arcane cards
1: do you think, you um,
0: make it splice think... onto instance or splice onto creatures or splice onto enchantments or splice onto artifact? Like, those are all abilities you can do that, like, could work.
1: Do you think that in new Kamigawa, they utilize blockchain technology?
0: No, <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> I hope not.
0: <laughs> the blowback will be bad. I think there's a chance a secret layer esque type of situation happens like that. But I don't think I don't think that we're going to see that anytime soon. <laughs> the crypto kind the crypto uh, of uh,
1: I think I mean through the breach brings really brings me back to the beginnings of modern. There are certain cards that have such a like a they have such a special place in my heart because I just remember them being so important in the first few years. And and through the breach is one of those cards. It's not quite as significant of a card as it used to be. It does still see. It does still pop up. There'll be decks that that take advantage of it. Yeah, it, haven't pushed a better version of it really, like very hard. There isn't like a strictly better through the breach yet,
0: right? At least in modern, right? Like there's, there is, yeah, through the breach is a reference to sneak attack, right? But uh, and like Nahiri does it as a back end, and that's where it's seen play, right? It's seeing it sees play as a win condition in Jeskai control lists, uh, on occasion as a pretty powerful way to win that way, and then it also will see play in Gorio's Vengeance based reanimator decks as a backup plan to do the grizzle brand thing. And right now it's a little bit behind, partially because Simeon Spirit Guide got banned. But if we get any type of way to produce free mana with treasures, I think that's even more possible than ever before. Like I could see a I would love to see a tapped land that makes a treasure. I think that would be cool. <laughs> uh like it enters the blade tapped but make a treasure. I think that this is a card that in the long run has potential to be really powerful and will continue being that until they print something better. And if we see Arcane come back, which I would be very surprised by, I can see it seeing maybe a little bit of a bump. But I think more likely just the fact that you can cheat Emrakul in the play with it is going to be a cool win condition where like if Nahiri is good through the breach becomes much better because you get it as Nihiri's five and six. If you happen to draw your emerkel, you can use it to cheat into play. And it's just like a great instant speed win condition to kill your opponent.
1: Well, that card you just described sounds like a sweet card. It also sounds maybe a little too powerful. <laughs> a land that comes into play and just accelerates you to three and you don't have to do anything other than just play a land in your deck. But it's tapped. Seems it's a tapped little land exit. I realize that, but I, you, I mean, so you can either cast your thing on turn one with your extra mana or you can not use the treasure. And then yeah, you just yeah, get yeah. a three mana so you, you, on turn two. You get a
0: tapped, colorless producing land that creates a treasure.
1: I'm saying I think that's too good because the downside to that land is there is no downside. It's just a land that produces a colored mana for you on turn one. But then if you don't use the colored mana, you just have three mana on turn two. Like the yeah. upside is insane, right? Yeah.
0: It fine. seems. seems
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. Our, our, like, our I, don't,
0: I don't think it's better than Birds of Paradise. <laughs> Or Lano or Elf, It is, though. No, Elf is better. The, you can. Neither of those cards.
1: Neither of those cards can. Like both of those cards require you to spend your turn to put the thing into play, right? Like.
0: Well, so does that. I mean, you one man to put nah, it in I guess it. it's.
1: Tr- I guess I guess it's true. But like, they also are cards in your deck. They're not lands, right? You they you have to draw them. Like, yeah, yeah I, yeah. I think it's different. It's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. It's a it's a cool idea. If we see that if we see that in a set at some point, Alex called it. Our number eight on the list, another OG spell. It's another spell I've cast on a million times.
0: Yeah, this scene has this one, though I've seen a pretty much wider degree of play and still sees decent amount of play now. And that
1: is Gifts and Given. Classic uh, OG, blue, three, instant. Search your library for four cards with different names, reveal them uh your opponent chooses two of those cards put those cards in your graveyard put the rest into your hand up yep. to four cards that's how it works
0: and this is this has been a staple of the format since modern existed it was seen playing control decks originally uh then it was actually seen play in uh reanimator decks where you would fail to find so the 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 cards that your opponent chooses have to go to the graveyard so if you only find two cards with it cuz you just couldn't find two other cards they're not in your deck i guess uh due to the rules of how searching works uh, your opponent has to pick the two cards you picked and put it in your graveyard. And if you find barrel Rights and Elishnor, or barrel Rights and Iona, you can just lock your opponent out of the game. Um, and so that's that was always like one of the like cute win conditions
1: out of um, gifts, like it was like gift like, control we, and Tron, yeah, and Esper, yeah, like, like
0: Reanimator decks, which is cool. And yeah,
1: well, and it also it it also like um, it worked really really well for the for your curve because you would like end of turn. You would like end of turn,
0: like end of yeah. their turn on turn four, cast it and then on, on tap and be able to do the reanimate and do it at a time that's at the worst position for your opponent. And you and that's your like main case scenario. You could always use it in the classic gifts and given value engine way if your opponent just like wouldn't be dead to one of your animated targets of just like finding your four best pieces of removal or four lands with different names if you need lands or, you know, Snapcaster Mage path uh mana leak remand and then like they're just like okay you're gonna get to do this no matter what um
1: they've done years of trying to rip this card off and try in terms of trying to make other cards feel like this card like they've done so many different versions for different types of cards Mm -hmm. um and and the thing that's interesting is they're they're never as satisfying as gifts and then on top of that gifts ungiven is such a great teaching card for a new player because if you do, it's like it's a confusing card if you don't know how to use it properly, like it, mm-hmm. it, it's like I've, I've confused the hell out of myself using gifts over the years. It took me a long time before I finally started like being like, okay, if I cast this in this deck, like I need to have a gifts package, a gifts package B like know how to do this mm-hmm. so that I don't just sit there tanking, trying to figure out what to do, because often when I've tried tanking, I just get like out I get like outsmarted by myself, you know
0: right it's It is one of the most fun cards I've ever cast maybe in, in, in all of magic, right? Like it is such a, and, yeah. and it, it, uh, it, for those who don't watch, I mean, recommend Ristic studies, uh, Sam, he does a YouTube channel, uh, they, they just released a video kind of talking about Ristic studies, uh, and are not talking about talking about gifts on given. So I recommend checking that video out. Uh, Rhystic studies is a channel gifts ungiven given was the video, uh, his, his, he's one of my favorite YouTube channels in general. So I definitely recommend checking him out and subscribing to him as well. Uh, but, uh, the main use for we haven't even talked about it. the main use of gifts given in modern is in storm and has been for like five years and that's where it's like bonkers because that is a deck that wants all of the cards that do basically all the exact same thing and wants them in their graveyard as much as they want it in their hand <laughs> so and also
1: like- and i don't know if they're still doing it i think they are but also past in flames which has flashback is like it's it's that thing where it doesn't matter if it's in your hand or in your graveyard because you have multiple different versions of so many different cards. You have right. two rituals that do the same thing, multiple blue, one mana cantrips, like you can kind of construct your de- your 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 four cards with gifts to basically be the exact same four all the time.
0: And and for them it reads as an instant speed, end of your opponent's turn, draw four, that then when you untap, if your opponent does not have interaction, you win. Right. That's that's what it allows Storm to do is it gives you this ability to find the exact cards you need. No matter what choice your opponent makes, it's probably going to be a bad one for the reasons you just mentioned. And there you go. You now have a instant speed way to hold up removal or hold up interaction for your opponent on their turn to then on your turn. Draw four cards, putting Storm so far ahead in card advantage that they need to be able to win the game.
1: Yeah, I love gifts. What's the green one that they put into uh, into Rise of the Eldrazi? Uh, is it the, called
0: the um, Realms
1: Uncharted? Is that the name of it? I've tried to use yeah, it. Many Realms, times. Realms Uncharted.
0: I use it in Commander yeah. all the time. That's like one of my first that things back to a green deck. <laughs> well, I love lands that do stuff, and like it's not the the thing. There is just like you're never going to have the right combo pieces, but being able to get like. Wow, that know, wasteland, wasteland strip mine dust bowl and uh ghost quarter is like a is a fun way to make a foil, really of that being, foil of that card ended up being
1: foil of that card's 30 dollars now who, yeah. who saw that coming yeah uh
0: i'm not that surprised uh that card that I mean, card was such at a any trash rare
1: when you and i met during that set at all-star cards that was a trash rare because yeah, I, I will say that.
0: that's a card that like if we get more like wizards is definitely more willing, especially with the new legendary rule change to print more and more powerful lands. And that card just gets better and better every year. Next card.
1: Number seven card. It's a black card. It's an instant. It's Gloria's Vengeance.
0: for a long time. The best reanimator spell in the format by like a wide margin. Um, Right now, you know, the, especially with these first four in the category, these have all fallen a little bit by the wayside due to the Modern Horizons. But it historically was the main engine for Grizzle Brand based combo decks, either Grizzlebrand Brand decks, which uh, used Gorilla's Vengeance, Grizzle Brand and Borgamos to create a insane draw cards, discard lands instant win package that could win on turn two uh, i think they even can pull off a turn one win but now with faithless looting and simian spirit guide that deck no longer really works um or just classic Oreo vengeance decks which was just like i play on turn three i get a Grizzlebrand in the play or an Embercle in the play i can s- swing with it that turn good luck from now on <laughs>
1: Now, just to be clear, uh, obviously Gristlebrand's the, the big one uh, over the years that it's been used with. But when Emrakul hits the yard, the trigger goes on the stack to reshuffle it, right? So you can Goryeo's Vengeance target Emrakul, or you can't when it's in you the can. graveyard.
0: You can do it in a response. So 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 Emrakul hits the graveyard. the The effect goes on the stack, and you can Goryeo's Vengeance to get it back. The fact that Goryeo's Vengeance is an instant is its key. Is I a mean, key for, that, functionality. for this day is still probably worth you know looking at.
1: That, I haven't played against Agor, Mention's mentioned, in so long that I honestly couldn't remember, and I couldn't remember if, like, there was some stipulation on Emrakul because of its protection from colored spells that prevented it from being targeted in a graveyard, but I think that's only active when it's on the battlefield, right? Okay? Yeah,
0: Now I think this is a deck that, you know, especially, like, going into Esper, like, there might be a weird Grizzlebrand, Umbarel rights, Gifts Ungiven... Faithful Mending, Goryo's Vengeance, Persist combo deck. Like there's still there's still a reason that like legendary creature. Like the reason that Persist doesn't let you hit legendary creatures is because the best reanimation targets are legendary, and Goryeo's Vengeance does do that. So like getting Elish Norn, getting uh, Grizzlebrand, getting Iona. These are still like back breaking abilities, and you even have stuff like the new uh, Priest of the Fell Rights. Right, the two mana. You can tap and sack it to reanimate a thing at instant speed. So, like those. Plus, if you find ways to put stuff in your graveyard, stuff like gamble, uh, or not hag haggle haggle on the 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 back the, end yeah, of the adventure, the adventure one. Like, there's probably a library of stuff you can do in the format to make that deck work. Is that better than just straight up reanimating an archon of cruelty? I don't know, but the right creature is printed or the right ability to combo with Grizzlebrand in the right way and we're back to looking at Through the Breach, Grizzlebrand, Gorya's Vengeance decks being really powerful because they do they are explosive. They do kill you on turn three.
1: And also Gorya's Vengeance being as good as it is. It's probably worth noting. This is a card that I expect to have very real world application with this new set coming out because there is going to continue to be more of a Legendary Matters theme. and They'll probably print some massive, gigantic legendary, insane thing that will be very good with gory's vengeance in this yep. set right? or, or, this or even the cast. next
0: set right like we, we and strixhaven added the dragons like there's a bunch of different stuff you can do with gory's vengeance that i think is maybe not even being visited right now the next card uh sakura
1: tribe elder the og what do people call steve steve right yeah Steve, because sakura it's, tribe it's, it's elder. sakura tribe elder
0: value engine
1: Value. engine, <laughs> Yeah. So Eve. this guy green <laughs> one for a one one creature with the old school ability of sacrifice. Secure tribe tribal elder search a library for basic land card. Put it on the battlefield tapped. and put card does not need to tap.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, and still is maybe the best rampant growth effect in the format and by a wide margin.
1: And also classic. So this is this is we're going to go way back now for those those listeners who were not around during this time. Uh, back when the rules changed and damage was no longer able to be put on the stack cards like this cards that take like a like, the big kick in the pants because it used to be you could block with your one once occur tribe put the one damage from blocking or being locked on the stack and then sacrifice it for its ability after that one damage was applied they got rid of that which makes way more sense but for years and years, cards like uh, Mog Fanatic and Tri Builder were always used well, in situations like that.
0: And the fact that this card has continued to be relevant, even with that nerf, is significant, right? Like the, the fact that this is in Scapeshift decks, like we're, we're now seeing a resurgence of Bring the Light Scapeshift decks in the format just because Valakut decks are really good. When combo linear decks get worse due to Grixis control being better or Grixis Death Shadow being better. Classic rock, paper, scissors and and Valakut being so good against Grixis Shadow Decks because their life total getting so low makes it really, really easy to just like bolt, bolt Valakut trigger twice. Uh, you lose. <laughs> um, but the fact that these cards are so good at fogging opponents, Tarmogoyfs, fogging opponents, um, Death Shadows for value, right? You're able to play this two drop block your opponent's attacking creature on the ground and then get the land you need on your next turn to be ahead is so valuable for two mana. Plus, like, if you don't need the land or you want to hold them back so that when you have Valakut in play, you want to get those mountain triggers, you just attack with them. They're still just, like, one that do damage. I've lost to three Sacra Tribalders, like, me having counter magic <laughs> for their escape shifts and their their bring delights, and, them, and so, like, letting them get their Sacra Tribalders because, like, the lands aren't going to do anything, and they're just like, I'll just beat down with these 3 one ones. And your life total is now at six and I have two lightning bolts and you can counter these and then I win with scapeshift or you lose.
1: It is funny. I, I mean, obviously a one one is is a much more embarrassing way to lose the game, but I can't tell you the number of times I've lost to a Snapcaster, Mage <laughs> to just like a two one on, on the ground, right? Like that, I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, you got your Snapcaster and I like exiled the card from your graveyard in response to you trying to cast it or, no. you know, you I mean? or.
0: And, and in and in Valakut decks, they're, the 1-1 the one, one doing damage is extra. And Snapcaster Mage sees playing those decks too, right, for the same reason, is that yeah. they, they need to get a player to preferably, you know, 15 or less life, right? Or or is it 16? It's, 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 it's 18. Yeah, well, it's, it's 18 first, or less, because yeah, six, six
1: triggers go mountains, mountains two through seven, right? So you yeah, get yeah, yeah, six yeah. triggers. It's,
0: it's, it's 18. So they need to get you the 18 less. And so like decks can just not take the two damage somehow, right? They just like aren't playing fetch lands or they play correctly to keep them out of range. And Sakura Tribalder is there to do those that that really important two damage to get it through. And then you win. Yeah. Like they're they're that the the one-one status attacking abilities of Sakura Tribalder is not to be to be underappreciated for sure.
1: Agreed. It's a classic. I mean it's it's it, I would say there's an argument that the most iconic card on this entire list is Sakura Tribalder. It's like there's there's like a world in which you could convince me that that steve is the number one card on this list yeah like i
0: especially when you bring commander in right like this is this is similar to ghostly prison and and in fact like it's this is the only card on the entire list of cards in this top 10 that i've cast more than ghostly prison right and it's just because he's so good in commander and other formats especially in decks like Marin where it's like the best, it's one of the best cards in Marin. Cause you can use it to ramp and you can bring it back with Marin and it gives you the experience counters
1: immediately. Like it's like exactly what that deck wants. Um, but I haven't seen a deck in modern combine, um, Lurus and tribe elder. And now I'm thinking about it. It seems like a very, very, very good thing to be doing. Right.
0: The, the only issue is just what are you ramping to right now? Like, theoretically scapeshift could just do that you could play a black like a black green reds like a jund scapeshift deck that's like there's only permanence
1: minutes. right that that the lowest thing is permanence have to cost two or less? Yeah,
0: permanence have to cost two so scapeshift is fine you don't get primeval titan like you're sacrificing primeval titan for this which seems a lot worse <laughs> but yeah. uh there was an era where primeval titan wasn't a a, a guaranteed go-to in scapeshift decks so it's not totally out of the question and, and oh, yeah. like what does Lurus get beyond that though like other than Sakurai Builder, all the other Ram cards are like instants and sorceries yeah now like in the Jund deck just like playing a single Sacred Tribuilder, knowing that you have like all of the things we just discussed and knowing that you have Lurus and being able to bring it back in Zoomer Jund might just be the like a cool secret tech to like outland your opponents um it could be cool
1: yeah or if there's some sort of cool more like landfall-esque deck the that, Jun that would want to do that because like obviously i mean i know i know there are some Jun versions that take serious advantage of that we've seen obviously the ones that have played what's his name tireless tracker and like a huge number like so there's definitely some that take advantage so Tileless but it's, does it not starts... work
0: with Thoros though you
1: have to play oh, two drop landfall three. creatures so you can't yeah yeah so you can't do it you can't do it with tireless tracker it's like a separate idea then Yeah, well, it's certainly an interesting idea. Just something cool that came to mind. Our next card, another classic, another old school relic, a classic car, so to speak. Uh, Kiki Jiki Mirror Breaker, the OG mythic red. It is. Is there a part of you that's kind of sad that now that Ragamon's so good that Kiki Jiki will no longer be the face of red mythics? No. You're like thrilled because it's like was such a stupid red mythic after a certain number of years.
0: Kiki Jiki is dope. First off, it was printed at rare originally. Fun fact. Second off, like the fact that for 10 years, twenty like 10 years of mythics being printed, the only mythic rare red cards that were relevant were like. Cycle red cards. So stuff like Urbrask and Inferno Titan or Kiki Jiki or like the fact that like in Modern Masters 2 and 3, the best red mythic they can come up with was like Meteor, not Meteor Storm. It
1: was Comet Storm. Comet right? Storm
0: was Comet Storm is like a joke, right? But when you it was look back terrible, then, when you yeah. looked at it, it was like, oh, of the sets available, there isn't a mythic red card that is good <laughs> other than Kiki Jiki. And they had to upshift that. Like,
1: and it's almost like Raghavan will never get banned now because they're so excited to have an iconic red mythic.
0: It does help. I mean, it might get banned, right? Like it is death, right? Shaman esque, but uh, I think we're, I don't, uh, at this point, And I've said, I'm, I'm more on this on the record <laughs> every day. I think that Raghavan is less and less likely to be banned. I think like a, there's an argument that drag range is better than Raghavan. B. it. Like, isn't dominating the format as much as you would think. And the format is changing around it. And even if you got rid of it, there'd be, it's not like it fixes the modern, the horizons, modern issue of like too many modern horizons cards are expensive. It just means like solitude would be the nor not the new $90 card. I think it's going nowhere, but regardless, I'm excited that there's a much, again, there's, you know, literally after modern masters two came out, thunder my Hellkite got printed and Duretti got printed like there's now a library of mythic red creatures they could have printed instead. But at the time, it was just Kiki Kiki. And
1: like and the, Kiki, the other and in those days, by the way, when those sets were coming out, Kiki was iconic because Kiki was actually played. That's why it's that's I mean, the, the cool. reason Kiki's number five on our list is because Kiki was a relevant card like and was some right?
0: Like it, it, it hasn't lost its relevancy. The fact that Goblin's deck, like the Snoop Goblin deck is like a yeah, real right, tier right. two deck and it's like a key part of winning with Snoop in play keeps it relevant. The, the moment that Birthing Pod gets unbanned, Kiki Jiki becomes a relevant card in the format.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Like Kiki Jiki was initially in the old, old days of modern. It was part of the twin package. Then when twin got banned, Kiki became the twin package. Then that wasn't good. So then people started playing the Kiki Angel Pod decks and Pod got banned. So like Kiki's been part of a lot of decks that have been banned over the years. And it's a really it's an interesting what? card. I mean, it's a unique card.
0: Yeah, and and Kiki Pod has always been like, right, like it was always there were two pod decks. There was Kiki Pod, which was this 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 glass cannon deck that if you were able to stop the pod from winning, they like couldn't actually really do anything. But if you couldn't stop it, they instant won no matter what, as long as they had two creatures in play or. You had the Malera combo decks, which were much more of like, oh no, actually I'm a hate bears deck, mid-range deck that's just going to beat you down and accidentally I'm going to win. It, like it played very similar to what Splinter Twin was doing, right? They both had like Splinter Twin was a tempo deck that accidentally would just kill you with combo, and therefore you could never trust it to untap because you could always just die, and therefore it was able to tempo you out. And Birthing Pod was a mid-range deck that did the same thing where it just like beat you down with random mid-range hate bears but then if you like didn't respect your removal and hold it for the combo they would just combo out and win you if you tapped out. and like that was what that era magic was and kiki jiki was a big feature kind of to both of that era and now it just continued as this kind of like unique combo piece that will always come up and be relevant
1: yeah, Kiki's biggest drawback always was and always has been the fact that it's triple red and cost five. It's 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 the casting cost combination mm-hmm. of the triple red and the five has always been the thing. It's so interesting because it's like if Kiki if Kiki cost triple red one and was a one one, it would be better. But how be much better? It would be banned. You think if it cost four and was a like one one for triple red one? Interesting. Yeah, I guess it's true because Splinter Twin costs four. I guess my point is more just I it, think it, the fact that it's, it's a Splinter Twin
0: that is, you can have Cavern of Souls and or play any like creatures gain indestructible this turn to protect it effects which is because the
1: power and toughness is totally irrelevant,
0: right? You can't like yeah, uh, I think that if it was three, I think the interesting change that maybe doesn't get a banned is three red red. I don't think you can go if you go down in a mana. it's banned. it's Splinter- it's, it's hmm. more powerful than Splinter Twin in my what opinion. What if it was just
1: what if it was just quadruple red
0: quad red ooh uh I think it is still bannable but it is closer to the line lo- thought, yeah I think it's bannable especially now it's with Snoop sleep. right like with with it just being a combo deck and other pieces yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that five mana is like this perfect sweet spot to make it okay uh I agree that the triple red makes it a little less good than I would like and the only I think you like but the only thing you could do is make it three and two red or you could maybe do maybe like one red, white, green, or like red, okay. white, blue, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: maybe. Yeah, but it's a goblin. I mean, I mean, I mean that you can't because that wouldn't, you know, then it wouldn't be like the the red goblin. I I mean, Kiki Kiki's high on this list. It, it was honestly it was the most contentious card in our ranking. Like there was an argument that I wanted to try to make to put Kiki at one because it was so iconic, and then there's also an argument that Kiki drops super far down because it's been a while since it's been relevant. But I mean, it continues to be at least moderately relevant. Now, on the flip side, our number four card, another red card. This is funny because this card is like the actual most irrelevant card on this entire list in a lot of ways, but you can't make this list without putting it on here. Like You just would be ridiculous not to right. put this on here. So, Our number four card is Lava Spike. It's another... And Lava Spike is... It's just one red. Famously in Tar- Arcane sorcery. Spell. Famously an Arcane Spell. One red. Sorcery. Lava Spike deals three damage to... Is it target opponent? Okay, it's not your opponent. It has to target. Um, it's like, I remember when Lava Spike was printed. And I remember or, reading or it, it's, it's, it.
0: It is now target player or Planeswalker. Due to the yeah, game control okay. change.
1: <laughs> I remember reading this card when it was first printed. And thinking, this card sucks. <laughs> like like I've, I've been playing Lightning Bolt since I started playing Magic. That card's good. This card's terrible. And like it's really funny that the barometer for... What they're willing to print over the years while it's changed, there isn't just a strictly better Lava Spike. Like, there is, it's called Lightning Bolt, but like, there isn't just like a strictly better or like the same card as Lava Spike. They didn't functionally reprint it. They've always come up with weird like variations on it, other versions, similar cards. It, but it's not that good of a card. The rate has been repeated so many times in so many ways for either one red or double red. In some way, and the burn decks have always, but the burn decks always end up playing lava spike. They always come back to it because, like, you just want to have three damage for one red. Like, it's that's the math, you know. Yeah, right. And and
0: yeah, it's just like it's when we were making the list, it was kind of like, is lava spike number ten? Is lava spike number one? And the kind of the argument against it being number one for me was like burn versus the other two cards on this list. Burn has never been the best deck in the format and dominated the format. It's always been decent. Desperate Ritual is always... Lava Spike has always been a major card in that deck, but it's never been... Burn has never been just, like, the best deck in Modern, and it never really... I can't imagine a world where it will be that, and if it, it, always it is, like... I. And it, if it does get to that point, I think what happens is they print something better than Lava Spike, and Lava Spike gets removed.
1: <laughs> Burn is always... There's almost always one burn in like a top eight or a top 16, like almost always there's one and at least and also if you look at like metagame rankings, it's always like right around the top 10. If it's not like the ninth deck, it's the 12th or sometimes it'll get as high as like the seventh deck in some formats, but it's always there.
0: And part of that is it's always serviceable to play. It's also like one of the more budget decks that's always serviceable to play. So it's always yeah. going to have its proponents. There's also just like burn aficionados, right? There are people that just want to light people's face on fire, and that's totally great. Like yeah. right? Like the Blitz decks were the one time that Mono Red Burn-esque decks, but those are really tempo decks, right? It's like a tempo aggro deck versus a burn deck, so it's hard
1: I'm yeah, you get used to playing
0: those really. So yeah. yeah. Um
1: you just get used to playing that way and counting your damage. So yeah, now we round out our trio here. You actually dropped it just a second ago on accident, our trio of red cards and uh this one is Desperate Ritual. Red one, instant, right? This one's an instant? Yeah, it is. Um add red 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 to your mana pool and this one also is another splice onto our arcane card, correct?
0: Uh, This is an arcane card with splice on the arcane one in red. Significantly more relevant on this card than the other two arcane cards we mentioned, right? Because you can have two copies of Desperate Ritual and splice onto the first copy of Desperate Ritual with the second one in your hand. And that generates a very significant amount of mana and is done in Storm pretty regularly.
1: Yeah, so that I mean, there's Desperate Ritual and then there's also the other one, which is Pyretic Ritual. And they're the same card, minus obviously all the spice and arcane stuff. But it's, it's still red one for three red. And they're kind of collectively together the reason that you're able to play the thing we talked about, gifts ungiven, and stack your deck and have the different. You know, it's the fact that you have two of those. It's funny that like burn continue or uh, storm continues to be as good as it is over the years and is so resilient because the format started <laughs> with rite of flame, which is red. It's from cold snap. It costs one red and it's add red, red to your mana pool. And then it's plus an additional red, I think, for each copy of Red or Flame in your graveyard. That was banned from the second it started. Then a few years later, burn Burn was good, they banned red to add five, right? seeding songs. That's gone. But still, despite all that, we managed oh. to still have a very good Burn deck or a very I, good
0: Storm deck. Like Right now in my head, Grape Shot and Primeval Titan are at in a race neck to neck to have the most cards banned in Modern.
1: Right. Yeah, like true. it's
0: like one of those two cards has gotten cards banned <laughs> and uh, and a lot of them. And, you know, the majority is out of the storm deck because when storm is the best deck in the format, Wizards has to ban a card like almost right always. Uh, and and Desperate Ritual has seen play through that whole era. All of those eras, this card has been a key part of those decks. It's just one of the best uh, ritual effects in the format, uh, arguably the best ritual in the format, depending on what you think. Mana is and like is a key p- part of Storm. It's like we'll always like and we'll can until it gets banned or until Storm gets put into the ground, this card will see play and Storm will consistently see play even when it's bad by players and will win tournaments because it is one of those I'm a ship passing you in the night and sometimes I'm just going to beat you. Also, it is one of the most affordable tier 2.5 and above decks in the format, so new players can get into it, Master Storm, which is not that hard. It sounds hard on paper, right? If you're a new player, Storm sounds like one of the most difficult decks ever played, but it's also the easiest to learn by gold fishing. And so it becomes a deck that is pretty easy to pick up with a little practice.
1: I think the reason when you say that, because I think some somebody listening and a lot of you guys know this, but I think somebody listening might not really quite understand like why when Storm is good, does it have to be banned? And the reason the reason it's something has to be banned over, say, like, let's just say burn. Like burn's a good example of where you're counting damage And it's like, okay, I'm at this number, I have this much mana, if I draw my next card, and it's the card I'm waiting for, I will win, right? A lot of decks have that where it's like my combo piece, I win. The difference between those decks and Storm is that Storm is constructed in such a way where you could your chips could be down, you could be far away from the win, they could have already shut down your plan once. But number one your, your discard pile, your graveyard, right, like stuff you've used already, is a significant relevant part of the Storm deck. So just because you've tried once and all those pieces are in your graveyard, if you get the right thing going, your graveyard is just as relevant. So unless they want to, like, th- they can't nuke that. That's part of magic. And then on top of that, Storm is constructed of hand sculpting cantrips. That's what it's built out of. So, like, you, your one card you draw is a card that's going to let you see more cards. And as soon as you see more cards, can dig you further into seeing more cards. So your one card ultimately just opens up this cascade. And if the critical mass reaches in in design, where like basically it's like I have a higher percentage of winning based on my deck than your deck, and you could already, you could stop me, but I'm not doing anything other than just trying to combine the cards in this deck over like one turn to win. My percentage is high. If you let me untap, I might just draw the card that's going to win me the game.
0: And you can't really,
1: you can't like, accurately stop that from happening in the same way that you can with a lot of other strategies
0: it's also boring af to watch someone yeah, play true. the second time like if you play in a magic tournament the first time you play against the storm deck it's kind of cool you're like oh man i they either they either failed and you were able to beat them great or or they like kill you and you're like that was cool watching storm one time do its thing is a cool thing that is possible in magic the eighth time you play against a storm deck in a tournament you want to Blow your brains out. It's like a it is a tedious experience where you're having to count and you have to pay attention to what your opponent's doing. It goes for a while. You don't get to do anything. And it has a little bit of the eggs problem as well, where your opponents will run out the clock in a way. But then once you go to turns every turn, they need to go for it. And because of that, they could take an extra 10 minutes every turn for three of those turns, adding 30 minutes to every round if Storm is a pretty significant deck in the format. So like. That's a problem. It's pretty unfun. It's hard to interact with, as you said. Uh, and Wizards hates it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but, it's, is but, no, but not no, enough. It's, <laughs> not enough to kill it, though, because there are ways they could have killed it by now.
0: I don't think they could kill it. I, I think if they get rid of Grape Shot, you play with Aether Flux Reservoir. Like you would have to do some pretty significant... Mind you, they have tried, right? They got rid of the Seething Sod. They got rid of uh, you know, uh, uh, Gitaxian. Pro- they've gone rid of Storm cards in the past. And it always comes down to there's always going to be something else that exists that you can play with it. And and they don't want to murder it entirely because it is a really fun, cool piece of magic that a lot of people love. And you need something for everyone. And I think it, getting rid of all storm variability would be a bad idea.
1: By I think you could probably kill it. I don't know if you could kill it with one card, though, because I agree with you. Grape Shot would be would be probably the biggest hit. I, think but should I also ban Grape, Grape
0: Shot. Yeah. But that's like, I mean I'm I'm hard. like less on that now, but in the past I've argued for it. Not because I think Grape Shot, is Storm is so good that they need to get rid of a card for, but I think there's a lot of cards on the ban list that don't need to be banned if Grape Shot is banned, and the Storm deck doesn't go away. You just play Aetherflux Reservoir, and you main deck. Um, you now add green. You play you play uh, Chatter Storm. You play the 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 Goblin version of it, which I'm forgetting. Right, right, and em- empty the warrants. Yeah, now with storm like it grape shot, th- kind of a, a mute point, right? They just add green, which I think would maybe be good for the deck. It does th- no, it's honestly because you have to get creatures out of it. The biggest argument against that personally is it makes the deck significantly more expensive, which I think would be a net negative because you by, have more colors. Yeah, you'd have to play with fetch lands right now, right? Right now, Storm is one of the few decks that fetch lands actually make the deck worse. Um. Hmm and so you just don't you you want to play you want to play you know pain lands and other lands that are just going to do better for you than the fetch mana base
1: so that brings us to our top two our top two and our uh, our number two card is a card that has been wrecking the format since basically it first started being played which is crazy
0: well, and it was a banning right like a banning put this card into power level because before that there was a more powerful card than it legal that made the decks that were playing it more explosive. It got banned about four years ago, Ar- maybe five arguably, years Arguably,
1: arguably more powerful. I mean, more powerful for that deck, I think.
0: More powerful specifically for but that other de- deck. Other I decks f- have not played this card. This card sees play in one specific deck. That deck has been a very good deck for five years and is consistently in the top tier of decks in the format. But it's not it, like, you know... So the card's Azusa. Azusa
1: <laughs> lost the seeking. Lost seeking.
0: Uh, so two and a green for a one-two legendary creature uh you may pay play two additional lands each turn um which is probably third place in most cards i've cast on this list after Gothly prison and and Tribe Tribebuilder. uh but this card is famously one of the key pieces to um uh Amula Amula titan, titan decks right like that's it's now and the card that got banned before this card was printed was summer bloom and when summer bloom was banned People start playing Sakura Tribe Scout, which was in our honorable mentions. And this card in combination to make that deck work, this card consistently is one of the more important pieces to that. It benefits with more things and it's a little bit more powerful and resilient. And it lets it's a you go little off.
1: less significant than it used to be alongside Dryad Dry of the Elysian Grove. Like that card pushed this deck forward, I think a little further, unless I'm forgetting and naming the wrong card but I seem to remember No, no, uh, Dr-
0: they see play together though. Cause they do different things, but they are both important.
1: Right. Well, I mean, for, for sure. But I, but I mean like the, um, the, the point is this card d- allowing to play two lands is much better than the one that Dry of the Grove allows Correct. you to. But the fact that you have another card that is getting you something pretty similar, but also does something else. Very, very good. Um, this you know, is the try this
0: is a card that like by untapping with it, by putting it into play in turn three, you're able to get the two lands into play that on turn four, you're guaranteed going to be playing a primeval titan. And if it survives, you're playing a primeval titan plus getting two additional land drops with the bounce lands you're finding, which basically gives you the win where Sacred tribe scout doesn't let you jump the, the, the line that thoroughly. And neither does Dry to the Elysian Grove. Dry to the Elysian Grove does give you the jump on Valakut triggers, right? Like it allows your Valakut to trigger one turn earlier because it makes Valakut into a mountain. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's kind of the main the main difference.
1: Yeah, and this this is a deck that over the years continues to yeah, as you said, it evolves. You know, Tribe Scouts started getting played a few years ago elysian grove was a big card when it was printed they continue to develop and evolve the deck i mean it's a lands-based deck right. so as good lands get printed the deck gets better um this is and, another one where it's not that fun to play against <laughs> i'm pretty tired yeah. of playing against this deck
0: it's explosive enough that you get around it i mean i will say that uh, also arboreal grazer has made Sacred tribe scout just like no longer relevant right the one mana you really only need to get one of those enter the battlefield effects of getting a oh, new land right
1: that's so, that's the reason that card was. There. I, I knew when I looked at it, I was like, this is just like weird. Like, why am I? What am I like mixing up with this card? That's what it was. I, I forgot that a Boreal grazer was such a big deal.
0: So so like Azusa is like one of those really powerful things, you know, Dryad legion grove and our grazer have definitely dropped it down, but it still historically has been this powerful and continues to see play versus some of the other cards below, which like are in like weirder decks, right? Like that's the thing that's interesting about Kamigawa, it is a long list of powerful cards, but the most powerful ones have been banned. And the other ones are kind of in this like role player role. And even our number one yeah. plot, which is going to be consistent. Like, So none of these cards have like in the past, they've reinvented the format or have been very defining features of the format. But now at this point in history, they're no longer really killing it in the same way.
1: For sure. I mean, I, I do think it's really interesting. I, I was prepared looking at this list to be like, God, this is such a trash block so many underpowered cards. I was shocked at how many playable cards that have had a huge role in Modern were on this list. I honestly, I I was very surprised and they are almost all role players. Like there's very, very few cards on this entire list. In fact, that are just like, just generically, generically good. Um, in fact, as I look at the list, it's almost like Gifts Ungiven is generically good and has been played over the years in a lot of different decks to different purposes. But it's mm-hmm. still... Like, that's like probably the one that feels the most other than the number one, which is has been around forever. And we're getting to now. And the number one card. Um, it gets better every year for obvious reasons. It, like, it's a card that exists and gets riffed on and other versions of this card get printed. Um, hate bear versions of this card. The card we're talking about is Pivoting Needle. Um, it is which, an artifact which, for one. I colorless. did forget it was
0: originally printed in this set.
1: Yeah, one colorless artifact. Um, and it's when it enters the battlefield. Name a card. Activated abilities of the chosen card can't be activated. So it's a unique and interesting card. Uh, it goes a long way. It doesn't have any stipulation. Doesn't tell you that you can't name lands. So this card allows you to name a name of a fetch land, which means a fetch land cannot be activated. It obviously allows you to name any planeswalker. Um, it allows you to shut down a ton of different things uh, for, for years that way. That is that way. And has been that way, and right. continues to be good because there will always be powerful things that are printed. And the thing that's so significant about this card is because it's colorless and it costs one. It it beats the curve against anything powerful that your opponent's doing in a very good deck that has an activated ability. If you're on the play and you know you need to stop something from happening, and you bring this in out of the sideboard. Any deck can play it. You play it on turn one. You name the thing, and your opponent just like sinks in their chair because like if you've gotten you've gotten your shot off before them, now they have to try to answer this before doing their thing
0: right and and the big thing and like the major reason that this has moved from a thing that like two years ago this would have been in the little pack i probably would have put it at number five everything else after that would have moved up a slot urza saga on the other hand has made this one of the most played cards in modern you know they're like it looking at just like the most recent decks it's seen playing it's he's playing hammer time jund amulet titan rakdos midrange hardened scales uh mono green tron affinity like Eldrazi Tron, right? Like anything that's getting away with playing an Urza Saga, Pithing Needle is on the top, like top five cards on the list that you look at to bring in or have in your main deck as a one of because you're randomly always going to, it's randomly always going to be decent. You're randomly going to get fetch lands. You're randomly going to get planeswalkers. You're randomly going to get different creatures with activated abilities like a noble hierarch or, um, you know, a- anything of that variety. So it's just like very versatile card that then you can play a one of in your deck that's tutorable by four your cards that you're going to be able to get it the turn you need it if you ever need it in a way that's basically uncounterable. So that's just shot it up to me to being just like one of the most important cards of the format uh, where before it was more of like a role player. And now it's like, oh, this card is weirdly seeing play everywhere.
1: <laughs> Look, I mean, if you're going to do something relevant and modern, there are a couple of different barometers. How cheap are you? right how cheap are you do you cost one do you cost zero If you cost one or zero you have a pretty good chance to be pretty ubiquitous are you colorless (laughs) if you're good and you cost one and you're colorless it's difficult to imagine that over the years you won't just become more and more relevant i think that's why this card is where it is now is like as you said urza saga that card's from the last year right right like so they've reprinted piling needle all over the years a ton of times like i said there have been creature versions of this card Classically, Phyrexian Revoker from uh, New Phyrexia is one of my favorites. The two-one Hate bearer version of Pitting Needle, um, but this card is a classic. You know, right. I. And and the fact
0: that it's findable by Urza, like the fact that it, and, and Trinket Mage and other things, right? Like, I've always loved the fact that you can Trinket Mage for this card. But like, we're now at the point where Trinket Mage is on a land and it's like bonkers. And here we are. And it's dope. Uh, so so the last thing, uh, anything else on the top thing? Because I, I do want to go uh, one last section before we finish off the podcast. Uh, no, go ahead. All right. So I asked the Internet. So, we're, you know, this is a little bit of a look back. Those are the top 10 cards. We didn't talk too much about the mechanics of the format. You know, the, the the whole block had Bushido channel epic ninjutsu offering soul shift, splice, sweep, flip, uh, flip cards and arcane. I think of those ninjutsu is like often heralded as the every, like one of the most popular with like also the writer that it being ninja themed is a mistake. Like it's the best mechanic that is so specific and who gets to use it that it's been really weird to find homes for it uh it's another mechanic that i would be very surprised isn't in in the next set um the shido to me is like on the other side or it's like this is a really cool (laughs) keyword that belongs to a really cool tribe but that makes every one of them really boring because it's just like you get a power and toughness boost when you do attacking and blocking for like a tribe that i wish was a lot cooler um but I, I like and and there's like a lot of really cool stuff that like from this set it's like a lot of really stratifying as i mentioned versions of mechanics and i am excited to see what we get back and what we see in 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 neon uh, but i did ask the internet on Twitter. What is your favorite and least favorite things from the original comic block? And I'm going to go through some of the tweets. The first one is from, uh, Alex, uh, who is at Bane Slayer Angel. Uh, she says the favorite is the spirit tribal. Uh, it was the first set that really did spirit tribal. And, uh, her least favorite was the crappy mechanics like Epic and sweet. What right. Sweep. It, <laughs> so for those who don't know, uh, sweep is, uh, Requires you to return some number of a specific type of basic land card to your hand as they resolve and then the rest of the effects rely on how many you bring back does a thing. Um, So like an example is return any number of planes you control your hand target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each planes return this way it's 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 based <laughs> on the fact that there was a tribe moon folk from the set that their whole theme was returning lands back to your hand and it was playing into the like there was a whole mechanic about doing that and then using those lands
1: yeah i mean some of yeah some of the design with that stuff is absurd i agree <laughs> that, that that sweep um, is really bad
0: yeah and then epic was their first take on legendary instants and sorceries which honestly i like this a lot better than i like legendary what we got for legendary instants and sorceries but both are bad. And that is you. It's a massive expensive spell. Seven mana, ten mana, six mana. I think for the black one, which is on the short, smaller end. Enduring and,
1: Ideal is the most famous one. I yeah. Believe, and the it's, white
0: one. it's once you cast it for the rest of the game, you are no longer to cast new spells. But the, at the beginning of the your upkeep, this spell recasts itself. So you're no longer casting spells. This spell just gets repeated. Enduring Ideal is the one that search your library for an enchantment card and put into play. Then shuffle your library so you just get a new enchantment every turn for free and then you no longer get to cast spells. Uh not not the best mechanic. Um but yeah, spirit tribal is dope.
1: Spirit tribal is great. And yeah, and I mean and and that's like it's one of the things that I think is the most fun about it where spirits over the years became a little bit more uh, centric on like, you know, ghouls and ghosts and things like that, like blue and white, like became very, very like spirit kind of colors. Mm -hmm. Um, This this set had like spirit as a major part of it. Right. You had them in every color. Um, Spirits weren't flying one ones. They were colorless one ones. So there was there was something fun about that, I think. Right. Right.
0: Next, uh, we have uh, rebel.ai or at Sun Rebel on Twitter. Another magic uh YouTuber, also really recommend her channel. It's really great. Uh, she does really great CDH content uh, and other content. Uh, and she said the good thing was the artwork and just like how gorgeous all the artwork is, which I do definitely agree. The set looks amazing. It has a like a strong um, like Japanese folklore plus Miyazaki-esque vibe to it, which I really love. Uh, and then her x her her negative was the power and toughness on the creatures which i don't actually know off the top of my head if i was a fan or not like that's that's something i feel like you know if you play limited i will say all of the creatures we said we liked are like weirdly one ones and two twos for five but i don't have know sure.
1: yeah i mean there's a ton of one ones there's like a ton of just i mean i think i think like my like i said at the beginning of this episode like the, one of the major things that i definitely remember was just like how many trash commons and uncommons there were. There are some cool ones, but, like, the the cards, like, the limited environment's not great. It's, like, definitely a just very, very, very weak. Not very, very... Uh, doesn't feel like you're casting exciting things very often.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, next is at Tupin's Gallery. Uh, Favorite was Legendary Dragons and the flip cards. Least favorite was Splice mm-hmm. onto Arcane and Soul Shift. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about the Legendary Dragons, mostly because they're more of like a EDH kind of featured thing. And in fact, one of them was banned in EDH for a long time, the black one. And they're just like a cycle of dragons that when they died, gain an effect. And it was uh, do a bunch of damage, mind control, uh, drain for five and gain that much life. uh, Tap target opponent doesn't untap on their next turn hmm. the green one that I don't have any idea what that card does.
1: Yeah, I don't recall right offhand. Um, I opened one in a pack recently. They put them I think that I think they were put into the third. No, they were uh, first. They master. were they
0: were they were the they were they were in the they were like the five color cycle that was in modern uh Masters, Masters one. one. I think they were they put them in another
1: set. They put, yeah they were and they put them in another set like they, they might oh I think they were probably in one of the uh, like ultimate or like double uh, they masters were in iconic masters as well iconic masters that's what it yep. was yeah okay. yeah
0: yeah yep. Uh, because they yeah they're pretty iconic cards they're the first time you had dragons in all five colors which was outside of the the elder dragons um, so that was like they they were always really popular least we already talked splice on arcane I am excited for splice I think the arcane part of that feature is what made that mechanic hard. To deal with. And then Soul Shift, which, for those who don't know, because we didn't go over Soul Shift yet, uh, is.
1: It has like a number, like Soul Shift 1 or Soul Shift 4.
0: Yeah. And so when this creature dies, uh, Soul Shift 7, when this creature dies, you may return target spirit card with converted mana cost less than the number from your graveyard to your hand. This is a mechanic that I feel like would be really, really cool if they made it with today's technology and understanding of power and toughnesses and effects and numbering and balancing. At the time, I think it's just like on a lot of bad cards.
1: I agree with you. I think that if done correctly, they might have to change. I don't know if Soul Shift for Spirits is like what should this should be, but I think they could take this idea and I think they could probably apply this somewhere in a really cool way would be my guess.
0: Um, This is from Ryan uh, Sanyo at Ryan uh, Sanio. uh Love Samurai and Black Aligned Protagonist. I will agree. This is one of the few times in magic history where the main character that was the hero was a black aligned character. Uh, Normally black is the villain color. Um, And then Samurai were really cool other than I hated the Bushido mechanic. (laughs) Um, And then they hated the hand size matter themes and saviors. That's, that's where sweep came from making your hand as large as possible, which was just like, I think we had, Uh, we got uh uh lunch over the break with Andrew Brown, and he was talking about like some of his least favorite mechanics, and sweep was one of them, and or or the hand size matters part of Kamigawa block was his like least favorite thing because it just like was don't do anything, no longer cast spells, the mechanic.
1: Nobody's mentioned snakes. Nobody, we didn't talk about it on the show at all. It didn't. uh, There was right. I thought snakes were popular. I I thought people loved snakes maybe yeah not.
0: no i i i'm real that's one of the things i'm really excited about going to neon kamigawa is just all the creature types like that was i think my favorite if i'm going to pick one of my favorite things in retrospect about kamigawa block it's the creature types rat folk snake folk the fox you know the the fox folk all oh, of the yeah. spirit tribal i love spirit tribal in general Eight like tails I'm or a, whatever that card is a called white in a strad guys the saint Traft boy uh i'm excited for like that's that's the thing that i like always and then and then you know even the like the class like samurai ninjutsu all of that stuff i think is like really dope and i i i'm excited for it i'm also excited for more shrines like the we didn't talk about the um uh, which was like one of the coolest the few times i've played them in limited were when they were part of Eternal Masters, and they were like one of my favorite versions of that draft format. Was was the Honden? So I'm excited. They're great for see. they're
1: they're great for limited. They were yeah. never powerful enough. And then they got reprinted they, they,
0: recently, right? In um in the core set, they were really good.
1: Yeah they 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 redid shrines exactly. Yeah, Sanctum of Shattered Heights, Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest. Played him a lot
0: on arena, even. That's one of the reasons I played with them so much. Is that was like the height of me drafting on arena. Um, so yeah, so so um this one's from Shivam Bot, uh, friend of the cast. Also, I'm going to be on his podcast soon. This is just a way to shout out people. Um, favorite is Azusa, uh, number t- three on the list, number two on the list. Uh, and then least favorite was how badly the packs perform in chaos draft.
1: Yes, true true and they're not and they're not cheap packs either guys like to put in perspective for you how insanely expensive some of these packs are the the fact that an oboro it's just a rare a foil oboro is almost 400 dollars the fact that you can open that is just a, like all of those lands all the rare lands if you open them in foil are like 60 to 100 dollars they're actually like shockingly expensive packs to get now i mean they're old but like for as like disliked as the sets kind of are overall, I'm shocked at like actually how in demand the cards are. Like we, We've we never, almost never played with the Kamigawa pack in a uh, in a chaos track. Well,
0: they're also like the value isn't very high. Like there's a few cards you could open, but the cards right. that are worth money are like like GTA is the only card in the entire set that's worth anything. And so it's like not worth the money you're paying for.
1: It's like bad at every angle. Well, no, no. I mean, it, so I don't actually know which cards were from which set, so m- maybe that is the case The GTA. What I was saying is, like, the cards that are worth a lot are worth a ton. And, like, sure. because they're old, like, because they're old, and there's actually a pretty high number of them, but the it's, packs it's themselves pretty, end up getting really expensive. It's
0: pretty insular, though. I, I don't think... I, I think, like, the number of rares that are worth a lot is really low. Like, the chances of opening the card that's worth a lot of money is really low, and that's why they're so expensive. Right? Like, you have two cards worth 50 bucks in in Saviors of Kamigawa and then every other card is trash.
1: I mean kind of, but like check this out. I'm I'll, I'm just really quickly going to just rifle through some of the foil prices cuz like obviously if you open well, foil, foils and they're foil is like sure. not
0: that's even worse, right? You have a 1 in a box chance of opening up a foil rare.
1: Sure, but like just bear with me for a second cuz this is what I was blown away by. Like Sakura Tribe Scout is a $27 foil. Tribe Elder is a $13 foil. Azusa is a $140 foil kiki is a 160 lava spike is 21 pie needle is 66 that's I, know, like, I get it but like
0: foils foils are a useless barometer for like that that's my point right is like the only way to get value is the luck sack out of it you're not like it's not like opening world wake packs where or like it, it's not like there's a fetch land cycle in there where like you have a likelihood to open up 30 dollars regardless like one of every yeah, five packs. As a I, pack.
1: I'm saying you'd be surprised if you look at the prices of these cards, you'd, you'd be more what, so su- more... what's, what's the non foil top five cards? Dollars. Uh, foil like is high useless to me. Okay. Like, uh, I'll, 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 I'll rifle through a couple of the prices. Just things that are things that are like reasonably expensive. Kiki is $13. Needle is $13. Uh, Bosiju is 33. Oboro is 85. um, araya was 10 uh, kataki is 16 you got uh 25 for glimpse of nature 60 for sensei's divining top but that's that's
0: uh, top's the big one well that's that's champions
1: of gun. uncommon right? yeah gt is 26 um castle is 14 forbidden 20. Hollow about, is 20 holoband lord's 24
0: saviors i I mean, we don't. I mean, have, to I, well, I have but... them.
1: I have them all together. The point oh, is, oh, I'm oh. just saying because everything's at rare for the most part. Um, you don't have to hope you open a mythic rare to open like a money card. I, I don't think the value is there. I'm just saying, like when you do open them in chaos, there are plenty of things that you can randomly open that are worth like a lot of sure. money. And we both know the way that it works is the price of the pack foil is ultimately what determines the price of an old vintage pack. It's the fact that you could open this mint pack foil and it always, the p- cost of the pack always ends up being slightly more than whatever perceived value. That's just how they're priced. So like they're very expensive for, you know, you could hit the lottery, but also a lot of the cards are trash. Most of them are trash. Sure. The the the, the last
0: thing, the last thing to bring up and this is someone, it was uh, Anna MT 1992. She actually just had a least favorite and that is. Whatever this is, I can't read upside down text and it's in reference to initiate of the blood and and uh, (laughs) Goka of the unjust, but it's specifically flip cards. And I think this is like a weirdly satisfying mechanic. I actually loved flip cards when I started. I like love messing around with the magic border and like what the card can do. I agree that the flip cards were super confusing and the new technology of flip cards, the, uh, you know, actual flip cards are yeah. a significantly superior way of doing transformation effects. But I like that this is the first time they tried doing it.
1: I hate the flip cards from Kamigawa. They're in my top. I have I cannot tell you the sheer number of times when like thumbing through a database to try to find cards for a deck. I've come across the same Kamigawa flip cards and been like, which one is this one? I don't even want to bother reading. I'm just going to skip it entirely. (laughs) Like there's three black ones. There's three white ones or whatever. Right.
0: I will say they, they made a big, in my opinion, the big mistake they made. And it's like the lesson learned, right. Is that they like tap.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Why do any of them (laughs) tap? (laughs) I think, I think like if all of them were creature that maybe could tap, right. A creature on the top end and then always flipped into an enchantment or something along those lines, which some of them do, Those are the ones that are fine to me because they like be you're never confused about what you're looking at. But the fact that you have like creatures that flip into creatures and both of them have tap abilities. How the hell are you supposed to know actually what side's supposed to be the face up one? And that's bad. Agreed. All right, that that is that is the last section of this podcast. That is that is it today. That uh we I mean the big thing is like I'm super hyped for the next set. I think a lot of the issues with Kamigawa block have more to do with uh the like design lessons that have definitively been learned since then, right? Like don't like the like concept of parasitic mechanics came from the failures of the set. The concept of as fan and the legendary mechanic came from the failures of the set the legendary mechanic and how it worked has been drastically changed and modified and become a much more significant part of the game like there's all of these small things that at the time i think were a lot worse that wizards has just learned lessons on and that does give them the opening to come back and do like do ninjas in a cool way do samurai in a cool way do snake tribal in a cool way do spirits and kami in like a old versus new vibe that i'm really excited by
1: yeah, I'm really excited for Neon Dynasty. I think it looks like a great set. And, and I mean, more than even the design of the cards themselves. I just like the theme a lot. So sure. I have a lot of nostalgia for uh, the good parts of Kamigawa, just just like Marvel is doing with old things. And, uh, you know, t- bringing back the old good stuff is great. So we want to deal with the old bad stuff and we can just bring back the stuff that's awesome. And that'll be that.
0: So now that we're excited for Neon Kamigawa, are, would you be excited for a Loroin return? Where are you on the Loroin stuff?
1: Oh, way more because I don't okay. like Kamigawa, and I love Lorwyn. Okay. okay. <laughs> like, lo- okay. like Lorwyn block was like a time of that was like a time I played a lot of Magic. Like, you bring me back some Kithkin, or you know, you bring me back some of that stuff. Like, I'm all about it. Like, I played a lot of Lorwyn and Morning Tide and Shadowmoor and Even Tide. Those were sure. all sets that I was of all of, in.
0: of all the sets we haven't revisited. Which one would you want to revisit the most? Like Caldheim, right. Lorwyn, Ikoria, Shards of Alara, uh, Tarkir. <laughs> Moldrotha, I think, or
1: Moldova, whatever that is. Yeah, because all the old sets, like the really old sets, they're all technically Dominaria, right? We didn't start to get off of Dominaria for right. a while,
0: which we're going back um, to, and we're going to go to like Wrath and stuff. We're getting the Brothers War, so that's going to be dope.
1: Yeah, that's going to be cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I some of the stuff, n- nothing you named like jumped out at me as like something that I like desperately want to see.
0: So but it think... could be Lorwyn. Your answer could be Lorwyn and Shadowmoor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess the fact that we haven't gone back there to me is you know, and and yeah. Yeah, probably it is then because I had a real attachment to those sets.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's Tarkir for me, but they're pretty close beyond that. And maybe uh, Lara would be the third. Like those three places are like Tarkir is fascinating that we haven't returned. Like that set was so popular for us not to have gone back, and it's partially, I think, just because there's not a story to tell there, really, and so there needs to be a reason to go back in story.
1: I mean, we that that set came out when I joined the podcast with you. Right? I mean, that was eight years ago, seven. Yeah, or eight years our set
0: years review was 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 Tarkir. So yeah, it's it, of all of the sets that, based on popularity versus lack of return, that's the one that's like the most wild to me. Uh, Agreed, yeah. the, the, um, Shadowmoor Lorwyn, I think, especially if Kamigawa does well, I could see happening. I bet like there's like, a, that's another one that has a lot of people pushing for the difference between Shadowmoor and, and, and Lorwyn and, uh, Tarkir, I think. And the reason people are asking for them differently is Rosewater has said on paper, that set was unpopular. We are likely to, un- we are unlikely to return versus lauren. tarkir which yeah. is like no that set was popular eventually we'll get back and i think the mistake that he has always made is whenever he says you can't have something or you're not going to get it people want it back. Like, yeah. i want it
1: <laughs> a um, lot of the stuff in lauren that was really popular we've gotten in different ways i think you know over the years they've they've given us like they've a lot of the stuff that people like from lauren we've actually gotten in other places um a lot yeah. of like like we've gotten a lot of hybrid thing, mechanic i right good
0: I was gonna say I'm realizing we should maybe do this as a whole episode, so I'm gonna pause this here on this conversation because, like, okay, yeah. going over all of the stuff <laughs> that we haven't returned to and talking about if we'd want to go back to those <laughs> worlds sounds really dope. So, future episode coming out probably after Kamigawa or maybe during it. Maybe it's what we talk about next week. Who knows? Uh, but uh, beyond that, once again, thank you, patrons. Thank you for for supporting this podcast. You're the reason it can happen. Uh, thank you, uh, Time Travel Media, for editing this podcast and making it happen uh, as well with the help of those patrons. Uh, thank you, TCG Player. Once again, if you can, click the link below, uh, and uh, you can do uh, you, we get a kickback, and it costs you nothing on TCGPlayer.com. Um, and then, uh, make sure to check out Battle Bosses. It's a game that uh, is out now. We're finally shipping all of the Kickstarter backers, should have their copies of the game. It's out in the world. If you go to BattleBosses.com, it's a game that uh, I am I invented, created, kickstarted, and now I'm shipping. Ben helped a lot with the design and testing early on in the process and during the process is a big, big part of it. And it's now coming out. So definitely check it out. There's also a YouTube channel. Uh, if you search battle bosses, you can see different boss breakdowns of each of the bosses. Uh, and uh, definitely make, make sure to check that out. And it's super appreciated.
1: Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Once again, we'll be back next week with another episode. And uh, yeah. Eight years later. Thanks for for hanging with us.
0: Thanks, everyone. Talk to you uh, next week.
1: Hit that subscribe button. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.